Hello, everybody. I'm joined today by the boys, Sam Godsey and Tanner Dislin. I'm your host, Keegan Turnbow. To everyone out there listening, thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to talk about some playoff baseball, rank the worst mascots in sports, and make some picks for this weekend's games. Let's get into it with episode 10 here on Crunch Time. Episode 10, I... It's hard to believe that we're already here into the double digits here, guys. We're flying, man. You know what they say. Time flies when you're having fun. It's true. Twice a week, having quite a bit of fun. We're going to go ahead and hop on to the diamond, where I think it's pretty easy to say that we've had some fun there as well. Unfortunately, the same can't be said about your predictions, Tanner. The playoff predictions aren't looking so hot right now. Your champion is one game away from being eliminated in the divisional round. And all, all my other picks have been eliminated in the divisional round. It has been brutal. Five, five series have completed, including the wild card, and I've only gotten one right. So the moral of the story here is if you want to listen to me on the gridiron, that, that's fine. Apparently not on the diamond. <laughs> with that being said, let's get on the diamond with this one. <laughs> what's, so when we're breaking down playoff baseball, Tanner, what's been the most impressive team so far? For me, that's that's been the Boston Red Sox. Look, it's hard to envision a better start to your postseason than A, beating your sworn rival in a one-game elimination period where you chase their ace out through two innings, two-plus innings. Then you go on to play the number one seed in the American League, who's also in your division, and you kind of take it to them and beat them three to one. So for me, it's the Red Sox, and more specifically that Red Sox offense. One thing of note Game one in Tampa, Red Sox did not score. They got shut out. And at that point, I was thinking that it was going to be a long series. This Tampa Bay pitching staff was going to have Boston's number all series long. They proceeded to go on and score 26 runs over their next three games. That's over eight per game. They currently lead the postseason or lead the postseason teams in postseason batting average, slugging, and OPS. So right now, this Red Sox team is mashing, absolutely mashing, and they're going to need it because they're moving on to the championship series, which is something I did not see happening. When you talk about a team starting off in the best way possible, they took it to their most hated rival. Like You cannot start you know, a playoff run better than that. What's been the biggest surprise here so far? Sure. This one, I'm, I'm going over to, to the Braves Brewers series. Going into the series, I had highlighted that it was going to be a clash between two high-powered units uh, on this team. And it's going to be that, that Brewers pitching staff, that three-headed monster uh, a starting rotation that I talked about in Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. But then running into that high-powered offense of, of Atlanta with, with the, almost the entire infield hitting 30-plus home runs, the one who didn't, of course, being Dansby Swanson, who was sitting at 27. So I thought those two going against each other was going to be going to define the series. But what I did not see happening was the most impressive unit in this series to be that Atlanta pitching staff. You go ahead and look at the numbers. The Brewers offense hit 176 in that four-game series, which is tied for the second worst in the postseason. And they're only above the Cardinals, who played one game, scored in the first inning, and did not score again. So they have been absolutely awful and certainly the worst in the, in the division series. And, and that's just a credit to that Atlanta pitching. They have big-time pitchers who – Keep in mind, they lost their ace, Mike, Mike Soroka. Last year, he ruptured his Achilles in the 60-game in the season, and then while, while rehabbing this year, he re-injured it and, and was out for the season. So this is without 
their ace. And they they go ahead and, and kind of make this Brewers offense look silly. Going deeper into the numbers, they, they had a 242 on base percentage, third worst in the postseason, 242 slugging percentage as well, second worst in the postseason. The Atlanta pitching staff was very impressive and was my kind of unit of the series, which is certainly something that I did not see happening. And Atlanta, of course, awaits the winner of the Dodgers and Giants. We'll get to them in a second. But the most disappointing team of the postseason has been who? Got to be the White Sox. One theme I liked to play during my predictions was pitching. And I thought pitching was going to be the name of the game here. And who was better than the White Sox? I mean, the numbers throughout the season weren't, weren't as impressive as, let's say, a Giants or a Dodgers. But look at the names. I mean, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease. You go to the bullpen, you have Aaron Bummer, Michael Kopech. You have uh, Craig Kimbrell and, of course, Liam Hendricks. This team had all the tools to be a complete shutdown pitching staff, and they struggled all series long. Going into game four, which wrapped up yesterday, the White Sox had a 7.56 team ERA, worst of the postseason. Going in, in game four, they gave up 10 runs, so that only went up, nine of which were earned. During the regular season, they had a 3.73 ERA, which was fifth best in the majors. So just a complete turnaround for a really good unit. And I thought a unit that would carry this White Sox team, as you guys know, deep into this playoffs. And that was just not the case. They got absolutely lit up. Of course, some credit goes to the to the Astros offense, but that Chicago p- pitching staff was really disappointing. Were they banging any trash cans in Houston this postseason? Look, when you have something exposed like they did, when you have success, it is going to be questioned. And they've earned the right to have their success questioned with their past. Yeah. However, the proof that when they went on the road and struck out 16 times in a White Sox win, and then the net, then you come out with these comments that when they're not home, they struggle offensively. And then you go to game four when the White Sox are home and they drop 10 runs on your head. Tough to, to roll with that argument. So were they? Probably not. But like yeah. I said, they earned the right to have their success questioned when – exposing their their cheating scandal yeah that that game's a tough uh that's tough for the astros are cheating crowd but now we're definitely gonna have to keep an eye on them as the postseason continues we mentioned this game briefly earlier giants and dodgers here thursday night we're gonna get that game five dodgers traveling to san francisco once again to finish off the series Break down the series a little bit. How did we get here? And what do you think is going to happen Thursday night? Sure. The name of the game, at least for for the Giants, is pitching. Because the Giants, obviously, each team has won two so far. The Giants have won four nothing and one nothing. When that pitching staff shows up, they win. It is simple. It is simple as that. Their two losses, they gave up nine runs in game two. And I think seven runs in, in game four. So it's pretty clear what you need, what the Giants need to do to win. Yeah. On the mound for them is Logan Webb, who pitched game one, pitched seven and two thirds, all shutty, five hits, 10 Ks. Julio Urias is going to be on the mound for the Dodgers. He pitched game two, where he went five innings, three hits, one, one earned, and five Ks. So both team, both pitchers have pitched a win, and both pitchers have pitched well this series. But it's just a matter of who is going to pitch better, obviously. One thing of note, the Giants lineup is particularly suited well 
for lefties, although Urias did pitch game two and pitched well. But names like Buster Posey, Chris Bryant, Evan Longoria, Wilmer Flores, and Darren Ruff, who are all big power hitters for this Giants offense, they, they're all righties and, and tend to feast on lefty pitching. So that's something to watch out for. So with all that being said, who do you have winning the series? Boy, how good has this been, right? It's just exactly what you signed up for in a 107-win Giants versus 106-win Dodgers series. With that being said, and how things have been going for my predictions, I'm going to change. I'm going, I'm going with the home field. I'm going with the, the more impressive performance in the last outing by their starting pitcher, and that is Logan Webb and the, and the San Francisco Giants. Just something about it. Kind of like Georgia, we talk about something about it. It seems like it's their year, theirs to lose. They've been stifling off the, the Dodgers all season long, and I think they'd do it again. Okay, backtracking a little bit on your pick. But, hey, if you're right, you're right. But we'll have to see come Thursday night. So that was On the Dime with Dizzler. Tanner, thanks for breaking down this past week in baseball. Next week, the championship series is in the AL and NL. We'll see where we are there come next week and go back on the diamond. We're going to transition over to Gimme 5, where today we're going to talk about the worst mascots in all of sports. Sam, we're going to throw it over to you first, because I think you especially have some interesting mascots for us. So, yeah, I got some pretty unique ones. If you don't know any of these, you can find them on a graphic on our Twitter at crunchtime underscore pod. Coming in at number five, I've already the artichoke from Scottsdale Community College. Four, I have the blue blob from Xavier University, who looks like he came right from Sesame Street. Then we got three, Willie the Wave from Pepperdine. Number four, straight out of your nightmares, we have the king cake baby from New Orleans Pelicans. <laughs> and perhaps the worst mascot in all of sports, Scrody from Rhode Island School of Design. <laughs> yes, it is what you think. Look it, look at it on our graphic. Yeah, Scrody's tough. <laughs> There's quite a few really bad mascots out there, in which you need to go look at our Twitter page to find Scrody. When I was told about Scrody right before we recorded, I legit looked up the name of the school and if it was real or not because for some reason i just couldn't believe that this was a real school that had this mascot tanner what was your top five worst mascots i tell you what it's gonna be real difficult to beat scrody but <laughs> i tried to stay more on the uh more known um, um teams and and more known in, in professional and in college but at at number five I have the Big Red from Western Kentucky. Uh, similarly, the similar to the Sesame Street vibes of the Blue Blob, this is a Red Blob. But honestly, it's so, it's just so unfascinating that it's I, kind of iconic and synonymous with Western Kentucky. And a lot of those Ruck and Mortgage commercials with the mascots sometimes have Big Red in there because of his his just iconic nature of a big red blob so that's why he's not lower but it is still pretty bad number four i'm gonna have t-rack of the tennessee titans the raccoon isn't a good mascot to begin with but when you are the titans and can have this intimidating 
warrior-like creature with armor and a big sword and everything a, a kind of a, an embodiment of heroism and strength but instead you go with a raccoon and i read because it is the it is like the state animal of tennessee or something like that i mean come on that is really bad especially when you think about what what the potential is there for a good intimidating good strong mascot number three i'm going to go with the sun's gorilla it's just really uncomfortable to look at it it is it it just it really is the human-like features of the gorilla obviously you know it's a human underneath making human-like movements it's just really weird plus they're the suns it has nothing to do with the gorilla it makes little sense and it's just bad number two of course you cannot have a mascot ranking without the stanford tree what what is there to say at this point it is a tree and it is not a particularly somehow you can make it intimidating or look you know cute or 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 along those lines but it hits on nothing it is ugly (laughs) it makes no sense it is not intimidating it is so poorly put together it's just really bad no no more words can describe it and number one similarly to the king cake baby that that sam said this will be straight in your nightmares is Boltman <laughs> of the Los Angeles Chargers. It is so bad. So, so bad. The facial construction with bolts on the side looks weight. They tried too hard to make it like a real person. It, it is really, really scary. Yeah, it's, it's rather off-putting, especially. I can't imagine if you're like this tiny little kid. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I get to go to a Chargers game. Or wait, hang on. Chargers don't have any fans. If you're at an away game in Los Angeles and you see Boltman just stare directly at you, nightmares for the rest of your life. Yeah, I was just going to say, you took my joke, Higgs. It doesn't really matter if you don't have any fans, but it is a really hideous thing to look at. I also have a few of the mascots said so far. Not from Sam, though. Sam picked some good ones. Uh, at number five, I have the Spurs Coyote, the the green, bug-eyed, very strange-looking Spurs yeah. Coyote. What, from going to San Antonio, when, when we're talking about the Spurs, you could have something really cool. You know, Spurs are talking about the, the Spurs on the back of a, a boot. You know, you could have some type of cowboy, Western, you know, based, you know, character, but you go with the Coyote. Dude, I tell you, you know. Okay. I- I get the thought process, you know, with like cowboy, spur, dry, arid, sand, desert, and uh-huh. you lead you to coyote. I get it. The execution is so poor. You mentioned the eyes. It literally looks like he's insane. <laughs> <laughs> I say it very much deranged look. Rabbit, something. Yeah, it's like there is something wrong. Uh, I have the I have the sun's gorilla at number four for some of the reasons Tanner said. It's it's very much just off putting. It gives me vibes from the old SpongeBob episode uh, where they brought in a gorilla and it's just very off-putting and it's just, it, it just doesn't fit. And the, the sun's gorilla does some cool stunts, uh, flies in off the raft rafters a few different times. And, but I, it just doesn't make any sense for the Phoenix suns. You could have come up with something better. The wake forest demon deacons, number three for me, I had to look it up why Demon Deacons was what they went with. 
it was actually nothing to do with the school. Uh, before 1924, they did not have a mascot. And a Wake Forest graduate in a paper referred to the team as the Demon Deacons in recognition of what he called their, quote, devilish play and fighting spirit. So there's, there's the Duke Blue Devils. Okay, devilish spirit. The Demon Deacons. Deacon being a elder, uh, someone who holds, you know, power, influence in a church, a demon deacon. I'm not, I'm not following with much of anything there. At number two, I have Western Kentucky's big red blob. Sesame Street is the best thing I can think of here. I think that's a great connotation to put with some of these mascots. At number one, I have the Stanford Cardinal tree. Cardinal, I didn't know this up until today. Cardinal does not refer to a bird, but simply the red tint of color that Cardinal brings to the table. Even so, going with a tree, a bold choice, if I might add, it's just a very bad looking tree. It doesn't make any sense. All of these have been terrible mascots. Which one of these was the worst? Let us know on Twitter when you check out the graphic so you can see what exactly we're talking about with all of these terrible mascots. To wrap up today's episode, we're going to go over and make some picks. Tanner is 22 and 9 on the season, not including baseball. Sam is 18 and 13 on the season, and I am 17 and 14. We're going to start off with Kentucky traveling to Georgia this weekend where the Bulldogs are favored by 23 points. Is anyone taking Kentucky here? No. (laughs) You know, I saw the 23. I was like, there's no way. That's a lot of points. (laughs) But then then I did a little bit of research. No team has scored more than 13 on Georgia's defense. (laughs) They've given up 33 points over six games. Their defense is allowing 5.5 points a game. And you might think, oh, that's that's greater because they play weak teams. No, they actually allow more points to non-Power 5 teams because against (laughs) Power 5 teams, they allow 5.2 points. So I'm going with the Bulldogs, obviously. Yeah, we got Georgia across the board. Sorry, Kentucky. Your undefeated season is probably coming to an end on Saturday. We go over to Sunday. Yeah, we're already going to the NFL because we do not have a good college football slate this upcoming week. The NFL, we go to some noon games, Packers at Bears. The Packers are favored by four and a half here. Sam, who are you taking in this matchup? Uh, I'm going with the Packers. It's as simple as that. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and Matt Nagy on the other uh, sideline is perhaps one of the worst coaches in the NFL, if not the worst. So I'm going with the Packers on this one. Strong <laughs> words out of Sam. I love it. Uh-huh. I love it. I, I too am going with the Packers here. Um, a lot of the things he mentioned, that offense is starting to get back in rhythm after that week one anomaly against the Saints. And to the other side, I, they've looked better. The, the The Bears offense has looked better, but I still I still can't trust them in big games yet. So so I'm going with the Packers. Matt Nagy, uh, Sam talked about 
he's he's one of the more difficult coaches to talk about uh, just based off of such inconsistency with him at the helm in the last few years. Uh, worst, uh, worst, worst coach in the league. Uh, Urban Meyer ha- might have something to say about that. Although now that John Gruden's gone, there's one scumbag in the league you don't have to worry about. I'm also taking the Packers. Simply put, I think Green Bay's better here. Go Pack Go. We're going to go over to another NFC North team here. We're going with the Minnesota Vikings traveling to Carolina to take on the Panthers. The Vikings favored by a point here. Tanner, a resident Vikings fan, who are you taking here in this one? I tell you, in past weeks, I've kind of been an optimist. (laughs) But right now, I'm just trying to find a reason to go with Minnesota, and I just can't. After last week against Detroit, my main gripe here is just the coaching and the play calling. I think I, I talked about it last episode. You are up 10 against Detroit, the worst team in the NFL. And you're seemingly trying to run out the half, running the ball on first on, on first and 10. And then when you fall behind the chains again on second and 12, it seemed so passive. It almost cost them a game. One specific instance, Vikings got the ball at the end of the first half. They were receiving at the end of the second or at the beginning of the second half. They got it with about 40 seconds left and they just ran out the clock. The exact same situation they got the ball with at the end of the fourth quarter when they were forced to try and go and try and score points. They did it. I wonder if you could have done that at the end of the first half. Huh? I don't know. Probably. But the coaching has just been so bad. And I cannot trust the play calling and that Minnesota offense. So I got to go with the Panthers. Sam, before we go over to you, Tanner, is Mike Zimmer on the hot seat? He should be. And I I know personally, obviously, you want to win football games. But I know a lot of Viking fans and kind of myself included that are a little bit upset that they won that game because that was a fireable loss. And that was almost validation about this system that it can win games when it is simply costing them games more so than winning. I just can't understand it. I think I personally don't, don't think Zimmer's the, Zimmer's the answer. Mike Zimmer, he's a defensive-minded coach, is he not? And the defense in recent years, this year, it's starting to come along again. But in recent years, it's been the defensive side of the football that's been struggling a bit more, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. He's made it known his philosophy is he wants to run the ball. And Alexander Madison is a completely capable backup. And he did have a good game other than that, that, that fumble that gave it right back to the Lions. But when you have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and your star running back is out, I know you want to run the ball, but come on now. Come on, use your head. Sam, are they going to throw the ball? Are they going to run it and find some issues in Carolina? I, I mean – Tanner went six and zero, and he's a devout Vikings fan and he's going against them. So I think I'm going to ride the bus with him. I'm going with the Panthers on this one. And I don't think uh, the Vikings offensive play calls can't change much. Unfortunately, as bad as the Vikings seem to be against Detroit, that was by far their worst performance as of yet this season. And they still won. Now, Something's to be said about the opponent there going up against the winless Detroit Lions. But that Detroit team is better than their record. They've been in some very close games and they've almost stolen some wins from some quality teams. I'm going to go with the Vikings here. 
And the reason why is because while the Vikings almost blew a game, Carolina recently has been blowing games. They blew a lead to the Eagles. Not a great team. I imagine a little bit better than the Lions, but the Panthers were home. They had a rather comfortable lead and the second half comes and the offense doesn't produce. The defense starts letting their guard down and the Eagles start putting up scores and Jalen hurts, you know, tip the cap to him and what he's able to do and being a dual threat quarterback, but Carolina wasn't looking great either. I'm going to go with the Vikings in a close one here. We're going to transition over to some fantastic games in the afternoon slate. The Los Angeles Chargers travel to Baltimore to take on the Ravens, who are favored by three here. Tanner, who do you have in this one? I've just seen too much of this Chargers offense work to go against them. That's just me. I think this Chargers offense is for real. They have scored against the best defenses. I mean, last week against Cleveland, they can, they've shown they can do it wherever, whenever. So I'm riding with that hot offense the hot quarterback in, in Justin Herbert. I'm going with the Chargers and Boltman. <laughs> Say, Boltman needs to travel to the game. That's a that's a must have. Sam, who are you taking here? You know, I think uh, to start off, this game is going to be high scoring. Neither of the defense are elite. Um, I think the Ravens might uh, catch a hangover game here uh, with Lamar Jackson playing incredible against the Colts last week. I think there's a case for a hangover. And like Tanner said, that Chargers offense has been so dominant, it's hard to bet against them. That's why I'm going with the Chargers in this one. But high-scoring matchup. This is definitely going to be a high-scoring matchup. And Lamar Jackson had one of the best games of his young career this past week against the Colts. In the second half, throwing four touchdowns, ending up having over 440 yards. What we're we're talking about Lamar Jackson, we typically talk about him in terms of what he's able to do from a dual threat perspective. The Colts game plan was to keep Lamar in the pocket. And in the first half, he was being frustrated because he was trying to get outside. It wasn't working. But in the second half, he started to get comfortable and he was making throws. He, sure, he was extending plays, you know, rolling out of the pocket, keeping the play alive, waiting for someone like Mark Andrews to get open. They're a great tight end. But that Ravens offense is just as elite as the Chargers offense. I'm going to roll with Baltimore here. They're going to have some home field advantage. And talking about hangover games here, either team could potentially have a hangover with how well the Chargers did against a great team in the, in the Cleveland Browns, as well as the Ravens against a solid team in the Colts. Their team is better than their record is, especially their defense in Indianapolis. I'm going to roll with the Ravens here and someone who's starting to potentially creep up in the MVP candidate. I'm going to roll with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Sam, we're going to throw it back over to you for this game. This is the last one we'll pick here. The Cardinals are traveling to Cleveland, who, like we've said, had a very close loss against the Chargers last week. The Browns are favored by two and a half here. Sam, who are you taking here? You know, a couple weeks ago, if you asked me who would win this game, I'd say the Cardinals pretty easily. 
Um, we've seen Baker struggle uh, in previous games, but last week told me some. I think uh, the Browns' offense is back on track, and uh, I think the Browns' defense kind of had a hiccup. I think they'll bounce back this week, and I got the Browns uh, beating the Cards here. Tanner? When I looked at this, I saw one glaring aspect about a certain unit involved in this game. That is the Arizona Cardinals rush defense. Arizona has given up 695 yards on the ground through five games this year, which is the fifth most in the NFL. If you watch that Cleveland offense, you know what they want to do. They want to use their superstar duo and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to gain yards on the ground and set up nice, easy passes in the play action rollouts for Baker Mayfield. And I think they're able to do it. I mentioned the stats. Arizona just hasn't stopped the run. They just haven't. And, and Cleveland is the be- one of the best rushing teams in the NFL. And I think Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt have a day on that run game. Browns return home. That defense figures it out again. Granted, it is the Arizona offense. So they're not certainly not going to shut them out because that is just simply impossible against my MVP, of course, as you all know, Kyler Murray. But I am going against him here mainly because of that Browns run game. That's, that's impressive. And even so, I'm still going with the Arizona Cardinals. Cleveland could put up 30. They could put up 40. But the Arizona offense, I think they're just going to outscore them. With the weapons that Arizona has at their disposal, Kyler Murray, he can run, he can throw. You got D-Hop on one side. You got Rondell Moore and Christian Kirk on the other. You have uh, James Conner out of the backfield. You have Chase Edmonds out of the backfield. They also have A.J. Green. They also have A.J. Green, who just a few years ago was one of the top wide receivers in the league. In the last few years, didn't have anyone to throw to him in Cincinnati. This is most definitely going to be another high-scoring game. That's what it looks like on paper. And I'm going to roll with Tanner's MVP candidate here. I'm going to roll with the Cardinals. Does anyone have any last thoughts before we go? Try not to lose. Try not to let let this game five between the the Dodgers and Giants get lost because it is going to be Mm -hmm. must-watch TV. I mentioned before how when the Giants win, they've held the Dodgers to zero. And there are two wins. The Dodgers have scored zero runs. Logan Webb is on the mound who did it in game one. It is going to be must, must must-see. So get your popcorn Mm -hmm. ready. Get your popcorn ready. I love it. As much as you may be tempted to watch the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Philadelphia Eagles on Thursday night football, maybe you don't even like baseball. You got to tune into this just for a little bit. There might be some fireworks. That wraps up for today. Thank you all so much for tuning into the pod. We appreciate your support. The clock has run out on this episode, but we'll see you in the next one on Crunch Time.